0: All your ways are perfect. And though in our limited human knowledge, we see through a glass darkly, we believe. And because we believe, we speak words of faith. Believing that you are, though we do not see you, yet still believing We rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So I come with my brothers and sisters and our little ones to worship you, Lord, to worship you. And I pray that you, Lord Jesus, would lead us into true worship today. Worship from the heart. In Jesus' name, amen. I had um, the privilege yesterday of watching live stream one of my dear friends' uh, funeral service, and his wife was my school teacher when I was in elementary grades. A man, 15 years old, was out playing ball with one of his young grandchildren, and he said, oh, I'm thirsty, can you go get me a drink? And he falls down on the lawn and, and this little boy comes out and he's dead. He's gone. Just like that. Thirteen children and numerous grandchildren. I don't know how many. And as I watched the funeral service yesterday and all of his children standing up there and sharing from their heart the blessing that their dad was to them. I was so inspired and deeply convicted. This man had no outward public ministry in the church that I'm aware of. He was a gardener. He did greenhouses and sold plants and but his children, every one of them, spoke of how their father ministered to them in ways that they'll never forget all their lives. He would write little notes, they said, and stick them on their door in the morning or beside their bed. Or he'd find, they'd find them stuck on doorposts in the greenhouses and different places in their shops and their buildings, Bible verses. He'd put little notes on their pillows and they'd wake up to it. I love you. And put a Bible verse there. God is for you today. Be encouraged. And I said, listen to these. I was so inspired by the words of Deuteronomy 6. Fathers, teach your children the word of God. I want to read it. This is a word the Lord has deeply laid on my heart to never take for granted even one moment, to not miss the opportunity of time. I don't know. I mean, this guy's only six, seven years older than I am. We do not know at that moment when the Lord will call us home what will we have left, the inheritance to our children. Chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded you to teach you that you might do them in the land where you're going to possess it. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it. That it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly. Just as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words, these words, brothers and sisters, it's not a joke. They're not suggestions. They are words of eternal life. For me, for my wife, for our boys, for us together as we come together as God's people, for the world. They are words of eternal forever life, forevermore. And these words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. And as I listened to the testimony of these 13 children, they shared how their dad, it just flowed from his heart, year after year after year. And his wife said, I don't know if he sensed that he was going to die or not, but it almost seemed like it. That This past year, he would talk a lot about going home. And he told his wife just a few days before he died. I think my work is about finished. My children's race has been set. I've done what I was supposed to do. Teach them God's word. Teach them that God loves them. And these words, which I'm commanding you today, should be on your heart. Dear brothers and sisters, if these words are not on our heart, you can write them down as many as you want. You can be very rigid about having family devotions every morning and prayer at night. You can do all the, the formality obedience to this word. But if it's not on your heart. Your children. Our children are going to know it. It's not on our life. And at the moment. When the word is most needed. That moment. It won't be there. You won't be giving it. And Proverbs tells us. A word fitly spoken. That means a word that we speak. That fits at the moment. They need it. And it fits like the missing piece of puzzle. It completes their life that day. A word spoken like that will enter their hearts. It will enter their mind. It will guide their life, the attitude, their spirit that day. It will impact them that now many of their children are married. I don't Know how many of them were actually are married now, but numerous of them. And their grandchildren and their testimony of dad and grandpa's. He had a word that impacted our life and will live with me forever. And his youngest daughter stood up there reading all these notes. She gathered them together. She saved him. She was able to stand there and read these notes that daddy left her. And will will chart the course of her life until she meets him in eternity. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and there shall be as frontals on your forehead. That means whatever you we, we do with our hands, they're going to experience the word of God. As you minister to to your children with your hands, it will be in obedience to the Word of God and they'll feel and sense the love of God in your hands. And as you serve them, as you wash their feet, as you discipline them, whatever your hands are doing, it's going to be a channel, instruments of God's Word into their life. As frontals on your forehead. And look at your face. And they're gonna see God. They're gonna see God's word. As they look at you. And you shall write them down, yep, on the doorpost. In John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4. You may turn your Bibles with me there. I have been asking the Lord for a new revelation of worship in my own life. I've been asking the Lord this past few weeks, Lord, what does it really mean to worship you? I want this body to be that Living sacrifice that was like in the temple. There was a constant atmosphere of worship. It didn't matter if you walked into it night or day. If you walked into the temple, the incense was burning, the showbread was fresh, the altar was there for you to offer your sacrifice upon. The priests stood ready to minister to take your bull or your goat or your turtle duff and put it on the altar with you. There was a constant attitude of worship towards God and all in that place, day and night, no matter when you walked into that room. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he tells us, do you not know? That your body is the temple of the living God. My body, the temple of the living God. And I've been going through the book of Romans, and Romans chapter 12, where he begs us, brothers, sisters, can you sense the urgency of the Holy Spirit speaking these words to you, brother, sister? I'm begging you. God is... He's not just sitting on his throne, commanding us. It's like Jesus, when Stephen saw him, he wasn't just sitting down waiting for Stephen to be killed. He gets up and he stands there waiting for him to come. That's how Stephen seen him, as he was being stoned to death. And that's how I sense the voice of Jesus speaking to my heart in these last few weeks. He's up off his throne. He's down on his knees and he's begging you. Phil, Josh, Salome, Jesse. I'm begging you. Your body. Give it as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. I'm begging you. And as I... As those begging words entered my heart. I began to see... How worshipless this temple is. How so often the atmosphere of worship, the incense, the prayers of the saints, prayers, the incense, the word of God tells us. The incense altar has gone out. And the altar, the coals are cold. There hasn't been a fresh sacrifice today. And the show bread is getting stale. I've been deeply convicted, brothers and sisters, in my own life. And so I share this this word with you. Wanting you to know the Holy Spirit is begging me and begging you through me to come and bring us into a fresh Worship experience of God every day. For such people, the Father is seeking to worship Him. John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, and the woman wants to bring a debate to him. Oh, yeah, I know you Jews think you're so much better than us. You'll see this in verse 19, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet, and the first, the first thing that comes to her mind, oh, so you're a prophet from Israel, are you? Ah, let's talk about this debate. You Jews say we ought to go to Jerusalem to worship. But our fathers, they worshiped here in this mountain. And if you go back to 1 Kings, and you see how that... I'll give you the reference real quick so that you can mark it down if you're taking notes. You'll find this in 1 Kings Oh, let's see, I, uh, I looked at it last night in First Kings chapter 12, First Kings chapter 12, and then in chapter 13, you see how Jeroboam became king, and it tells us in verse 26 of chapter 12, and Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will return to the house of David, If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart, the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king consulted. He took counsel and he made two golden calves. And he said to them, it's too much trouble. It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. Ah, why did he make two golden calves, do you think? Because he remembered the story of the golden calf that Aaron made. Just as God had brought them to Mount Sinai, and Moses went up to the mount to bring true worship to them. And they said, what happened to this, Moses? Forty days and forty nights have gone. He probably died up there somewhere. And Aaron makes a golden calf to worship. I'll make two of them. That's what I'll do. And he set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. And if you look at the geographic map, Dan was to the north of Israel, all the way to the north. And Bethel was just inside the line of Samaria from Israel, from Judah. So one to the south, Bethel, one to Dan, up north. And it's very interesting. You know where Bethel was, right? Who called this place Bethel? Can someone tell me? Who called this place Bethel? Jacob. Jacob. What experience did he have there that he called it Bethel? You remember? Yes. Yes. Jacob had tricked his brother Esau out of the birthright and then out of the blessing and was running for his life as his mom told him, go, go, go to Laban, my my brother, run for your life. Jacob, the deceiver, and he lays down at this place for the night and takes a pillow, a stone for his pillow. and He has a dream. And in his dream, he sees angels descending up a stairway into heaven and God standing at the top. And God makes a promise to Jacob that night. If you serve me, Jacob, I will be your God forever. If you worship me, if you serve me. Very interesting that Jeroboam chose this very place to put the golden calf. Not a mistake. Very intentional. Now this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. Verse 33, Then he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day in the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the sons of Israel. And he went up to the altar to burn incense. So this woman in John 4 said to Jesus, Ah, I know you Jews. You say, well, to go to Jerusalem. But our fathers, all the way back to Jeroboam, they said in this mountain, we should worship. And Jesus gives them, gives her a word she had never heard before. Jesus, in his wisdom, so often did this. When someone brought to him an argument, he spoke a truth that pierced right through the argument the argument became worthless to debate. There was no debate anymore. There was no argument. The woman said, where shall we worship? What do you say, prophet? In Jerusalem or here? And I think it was a loaded question for this woman. She sensed he was a prophet, and a prophet was to have the word of God. And so she was challenging him with this, I'll see if I want to listen to you, prophet. Prophet depending where you tell me I should worship. Jesus said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship. That which we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming. He did speak the truth and set it clear. Your worship, you don't even know what you're worshiping. We do know what we're worshiping. However, an hour is coming and it now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit. And truth for such people, the father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Or the altar, the alternative is you do not know what you worship. And that's how the Lord has been speaking strongly into my heart. Phil, do you know? Do you know what, who you are worshipping? Do you really know? I mean, I was brought up in church, brothers and sisters, in a godly family. I was taught the Bible from a little boy on up when I first could begin to read. Sure, I know what I'm worshipping. Do I? Is it in spirit, the inner man? Our spirit is our inner man. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul said, you're made up of body, soul, and spirit. And I have found in my life that all three of these need to be engaged to Jesus Christ. If I try to separate one from the other, It's like a little leaven that leavens the whole lump. It immediately or very quickly spreads into the other. If I think I can serve God only in my spirit without my soul. I mean, don't blink. Don't move. No soul. No heart. No will is engaged without engaging my thoughts and words. Or if I think I can worship God with my will only, my soul, my thoughts, my emotions, but my body is motionless and has nothing to do with it. It simply doesn't matter what I do with my body. God knows that's worthless anyway. It's temporal. It's going to burn up. It's going to go and turn into dirt. So don't do it with your body. That's all just fake and show. Really? I'm going to show you this morning that unless the Holy Spirit comes and takes my body as its temple, putting His Spirit into my body, and then that Spirit begins to take control of my soul, my will, my emotions, my thought life, taking every thought captive, and bringing it under the obedience of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us. We must do this. This is the warfare that we are waging in this world, not one of flesh and blood, but an inner warfare that takes thoughts captive, and it does more than that. It pulls down strongholds. Strongholds. What kind of strongholds? Principalities kind of strongholds, strongholds of spiritual government in this world through the power of the soul the Holy Spirit taking control of my soul and pulling down strongholds tearing down golden calves of worship and bringing everything under the obedience of Jesus Christ And experiencing worship in my spirit, in my soul, and in my body. God's looking for these worshipers, dear brothers and sisters. He's looking for you and I to worship Him in all three. And there are so many aspects to worship that I realize I will never fully be sanctified in this in this truth in my life to perfection until I'm delivered from this body and this soul and spirit fly home free before the Lord and we enter His presence where there is that fullness of joy. Complete worship, undistracted worship is what I call it because this body, so much distracted worship My eyes see. My thoughts are distracting. My emotions are distracting. I get sleepy. I'm distracted. There's just so much distraction in my worship towards Christ. But the goal of my life is to worship Him undistracted. Completely undistracted. Even in my thoughts. Not even one distracted thought or wayward emotion or affection of my heart. But it begins in my spirit, in your spirit. It begins there. That relationship to Jesus Christ that is real. It's truth. It's truth. And God is looking for those worshipers this morning. Not just on a Sunday morning. But He's looking for men and women whose life is a life I was going through the Psalms, and I want to take you to Psalm 95. This is, you know, Psalms is divided up into five books. Did you know that? It was originally five different books. And we're going to look at book four this morning. And how that worship, we're actually going to begin in Psalm 90. That's where book four begins. And if you go through book four of Psalms, you will, this book, personally, I think, is the ecclesiastical word of worship. I mean, from Psalm 90 all the way through Psalm, let's see, 107, I think it is. Yes, through 106 up to Psalm 107, this book is just so full of instruction towards worship. Do you know why? Because it begins with Moses. Psalm 90 was written by Moses. And Moses, for the first time in hundreds of years, at least 400 years of Egypt, Israel being in Egypt, We cannot read that there was a man there except for Joseph. But Joseph speaks more of a practical relationship towards Israel instead of worship. But I I believe Joseph did worship the Lord. But it didn't seem like any man really got it for 400 years. Men were silent about what it means to worship God. And they lived in a land of idolatry this really gripped me, dear brothers and sisters, because the way Moses got it began at a burning bush when God began to speak to him strongly. But it seemed like even there, it began slowly as Moses began to obey God. But when Moses really came into the heart of worship was when he went up into mount and God began to share his heart with him. And there he wrote the first five books of the Bible. As God gave him this revelation of Himself, of His creating power, of His awesome majesty, of His complete control over the world, and now of His call to His people to come and worship the Lord their God and only Him serve. Put away all your idols and come and worship only God. That was God's commandment as Moses delivered it in Exodus chapter 20 Moses got it and as he delivered to the to the people we see how his face shone brightly reflecting God's glory as he spoke to the people Moses begins Psalm 90 book 4 with verse 1 Lord Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or thou didst give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. Eternity past, eternity future. God is God. This is the start of worship, brothers and sisters. Outside of that perspective, in my heart, every day when I wake up And at night, when I lay down to know that God is God. That's it. There are no other gods before Him in my life. He is from everlasting and He will be to everlasting. He is God, my God. Do you live in that conscious awareness, dear brothers and sisters? The reality of that is life changing. Completely life-changing. Because if I acknowledge it and I say it from my heart, and I believe it with that faith that trusts Him completely, then I can enter into that worship of God. undistracted. Those distractions and affections, the wayward affections of my heart, the stresses of my life, the things that press in, the things that pull out of me, those distracted thoughts, those self-seeking thoughts, they all come together right there and lay down on the altar. God is God. That's it. Moses. Got that revelation. And he believed it. And you see, Moses followed it with his whole life. And he did to the best of his ability. He communicated that with God's people, walking in it first himself, believing it with his whole heart. And then it became the passion of his life his life journey was encapsulated. in what we know about him was leading God's people into true worship. All of the instruction that he gave to them. If you go back and read what he's written and recorded for us, it all has to do with worship, brothers and sisters. It all has to do with us loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with our soul and with our strength, and loving our neighbor like himself, like he loves us. Thou hast been our dwelling place. It affects in Psalm 4. And my guess is that many of you read the Psalms a lot, I do ever since I've been born again, but especially since the Holy Spirit really came into my life at the age of 23 or 24, this book, of all the other books, has become the most precious book. And the reason it's the most precious to me is because so many times, in fact, pretty much every day, in any circumstance, I find that this book expresses me best. It expresses my soul to God like I can't come up with. But I can find that expression here. As I come to God, whether it's in the face of struggle, of a circumstance in life, or whether you're just having a wonderful day and you're counting all your blessings and you feel like Psalm 103, bless the Lord, all my soul, and everything that's in me. Oh, don't forget any of His blessings. Or whether you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And you need to trust beyond what you can see, or hear, or even think and feel. You can can express yourself in this book. And I find it's true. In Psalm 4, verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. You and I have been set apart. For God. That's what the Holy Spirit has been begging us all along to do. To be set apart, to come apart, in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter seven. This word just comes to my mind. I want to read it correctly. The Holy Spirit begs us with this wonderful, beautiful word chapter 6 of 2nd corinthians verse 16 i'll back up verse 14 do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness or what harmony has christ with belial or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever Or what agreement has the temple of God, my body, with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out, come out from among them. From their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. And look how he describes himself. Almighty. God from everlasting to everlasting. God now has become to you and me almighty. Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's the journey. That's the call of our life, brothers and sisters. Therefore, we've got this promise that we've been set apart for God. So let's continue to perfect ourselves and cleanse us from all the distracted life of worship the impurity of true worship. The Lord hears when I call to Him, tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. If God were to reveal your bedtime stuff, is there is your pillow? want to worship I call this my pillow worship my pillow worship do you have any where's your heart when you lay your head down on your pillow so want to worship quietness you're trying to come to sleep our boys quite often they have a, it's a journey to shut down at night right Lucas takes a while do you ever just lay on bed and just fall asleep? No. No. Not that much anymore. I know. When I my Michael and Lucas, they normally don't just go to bed and fall asleep just like that. It's a journey to get there, to finally shut down. And my constant encouragement to them is pray. And sometimes they take a few trips over to our bed. Right, Michael? Dad, would you please pray for me? I'm feeling scared. Or, Dad, my thoughts are just not shutting down. Would you please pray again? Yes, I'll pray. What I'm wanting them to get is that when they lay down at night, they can worship. Worship and be still. It's the only thing that really quiets our thoughts. It's worship. Taking my heart and setting its affection upon God. And there, verse 5, you offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. I tell you, brothers and sisters, before I got this, even in my Christian life, before the Lord taught me this, and He's still perfecting it in me, but before He even showed, gave me this revelation, I would have horrible dreams. I would go to bed at night. My mind was wrapped up in business and wrapped up with the cares of life or church life, or it was always, it seemed like that was a place to kind of unwind, and my mind would just roll and roll, and I'd stress, you know, and you roll this way and you roll that way and you try this way and your pillow's bumpy and lumpy and, ah, you just long for the morning. And God is looking at you and me. He's saying, come out from among that. Be separate from all that stuff. Give me your heart when you lay down. Give me your heart of worship. Offer that sacrifice of righteousness. And look what happens. Verse 7, thou hast put gladness in my heart. How much gladness? How much gladness? Where does it come from? Have any of you ever been made glad by a big blessing? What I mean by a big blessing is, You know, it just seems like God opens the windows of heaven and pours out the blessing of lots of money. Yeah, Nash, you were going to say something? No? More than when their grain and new wine abound. That's how much gladness. More than. It pales. The gladness in my heart that comes through the increase of financial wealth Pills! That's not even gladness anymore compared to this gladness that fills my heart. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For Thou alone, O Lord, Thou alone, nothing beside You. Only You, Lord, make me dwell in safety. That's pillow worship. in Psalm 5. Hello, good morning. Verse 3. In the morning, O Lord, thou wilt hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer to thee and eagerly watch. Boy, what a get up and go. Amen. You're not a morning person? Get up in worship. In the morning, Let the Lord hear your voice as you wake up. Order your prayer to Him and He will fill you with His energy. Eagerly watch. Back to Psalm 90. This this word of Moses, I'm not going to have time to go through it. You take some time. I really encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you're sitting here and you're feeling dry and you're seeing your own lack of worship in your life, your everyday life, as I am in mine, and you're longing for more, God, remember this, first of all, God is looking for you. God is seeking for you and me. You don't have to run out there and try to find Him. He is found of those who earn Diligently seek Him. He's right there. He's looking for me. And I just look up and I see Him. He's the one that appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Moses was just doing his shepherd thing. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That abiding place of worship is what I want. That abiding place, it doesn't evaporate like the dew in the morning when the sun hits it. God's word is not like the seed sown by the wayside, hard scorched earth, that when the sun comes up, it withers and it goes away. It's an abiding shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 92, verse 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praise to thy name, O Most High, to declare thy loving kindness. When? When do you do it? After he's done it? given you a good breakfast and got you off to work and given you a cup of coffee and the day has started just fine. Now I'll say, you're kind, Lord. No, 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 no. You totally missed it. Worship then for you is circumstantial. Not from the heart. You're worshipping a golden calf called circumstances. That's what I've seen in my life. If I wait to worship my God with a thankful heart and to declare His loving kindness, to give thanks to Him until I feel it. I experience it. Then I have a golden calf in my heart called circumstance. God, order my circumstances well and I will praise you. But the Lord wants a heart like David had, like Moses found. A heart that worships first thing in the morning God and no other gods before Him. He comes first. Worship in the morning, declaring His goodness, His loving kindness, and then in the night, in thy, and thy faithfulness by night. That's when you can also declare, God is faithful, has been true, just as He said again to me tonight. Psalm 93. Verse 1, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded Himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established and will not be moved. Thy throne is established from of old. Thou art from everlasting. Do you believe that? Will you believe it tomorrow morning? Tomorrow afternoon? Can you confess this with a word of faith from your heart? God, you reign. God, you're clothed with majesty. That's what I mean. That majesty, it wasn't consuming. The temple had lost its majesty. And I find it's because so many times the affections of my heart have other gods. And if the other gods aren't there and I've actually taken down the idols, I'm like some of the kings in Israel who sought after God, but not with all their heart. You know what was left? Why does it say they did not seek Him with their whole heart? What had they left behind? Can someone tell me? Very important. The high places. They were not taking the people back to Jerusalem to worship. Jeroboam's influence was still on them. Easy worship, it's called. Slothful worship. Worship where the high place is behind my house. There's a hill. There's an altar. Oh, I'm just taking the same altar that we used to sacrifice to Baal. Now I'll just put the Lord God Jehovah on it. And now it's God's. But it's just behind my house, you know. I don't have to take a lot of time out. I'm busy, don't you know? I've got fields to plow and I've got new oxen to take care of and I've got things to do. I've got to go to town. I've got to make some money, don't you know? Easy worship. High places. And God looks at those kings and he says, they did not worship me with their whole heart because they left the high places in Israel. You still have some high places in your life, dear brother and sister. Psalm 94. O Lord, God of vengeance. God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render recompense to the proud. How long shall the wicked, O Lord? How long shall the wicked exult? Does God reign at that moment in your life? When you're feeling like vengeance is due. And then you hear the words in Romans 12. Do not avenge yourself, my dearly beloved. Vengeance belongs to me, saith the Lord. What do you do with that word? All right, Lord. Swallow the camel of vengeance. I won't avenge myself you know we just can't take vengeance can't take vengeance but vengeance has filled your heart it's threatening to explode and when your mouth opens up guess what comes out vengeance vengeance and dear brother sister i have seen in my own heart a lack of worship right there And if I can't take that, those moments when you want vengeance and you cry for justice and you don't bring that to a place of worship, vengeance will eat you up. It'll destroy your heart to worship. And you'll begin to slowly but surely take it into your own hands instead of being a soul like Revelation chapter 6. Staying under the altar. All this word strongly spoke to my heart. You find here in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, wilt Thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Did God ignore them? No, He didn't. And there was given to each of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, should be completed also. Dear brother and sister, this is a high place in my heart. I'll confess it to you, that the Lord showed to me that I had not brought underneath the altar. And I stand here to ask you for your forgiveness, because I know There were those moments in my heart, there were those things in my life when I'd swallowed the camel, but it remained in my chest because it wasn't brought under the altar to find rest. Yes, you can cry out to God, but remain under the altar. Keep your soul there and then receive the white robe of righteousness that Christ gives you It will bring rest to your heart. If you and I don't find this one, we're in big trouble, brothers and sisters. Because we're headed for a lot of trouble in this world. I'm absolutely persuaded. If we think we have seen trouble, we've not seen anything yet. Some of us will die for our faith. I believe that. And if you don't, and you're not prepared for that death, wife, the death of your husband, husband, the death of your children, if you're not prepared for this kind of experience, you won't worship at that time. You won't worship. You'll take vengeance. And God loves us enough to purify us, to set us apart these moments in our life, because there He wants worship too. Father is seeking for such worship him John Piper told a story about these this couple who went to China some years ago many years ago they went to the China inland missions a young couple they could have no children they felt called to go and when the Red Army came in after World War II the Chinese began to take over China they found these missionaries in the village They took him and they brought the husband and wife together to the town square. And they chopped his head off. And as his body fell down, she falls down weeping over him. And the sword that killed her husband took her head off. You want vengeance? They do. They're under the altar crying the vengeance of their blood. And they've been given white robes for the last 50 years or so. They found rest. Have you? Unless we find worship in every circumstance of our life that brings our soul to quiet rest, whether it's on our pillow at night, or getting up in the morning and singing of his loving kindness, declaring it in faith that day, or standing burned at the stake, or seeing your children slaughtered in front of your eyes. Brothers and sisters, We're in a bubble. We don't even know what's going on around us in the world. Those of our family, the family of God. We don't even want to know, many of us. How many of you want to know? You want to go to the front lines and see it? Do you want to experience it in prayer with them? Like Hebrews tells us, pray as though bound with them. I'll tell you how much you want to know. your prayer for them like? Do you even think about them every day? Are you in the trenches with your brothers and sisters or not? I have found in my own life I'm not. So many days come and I'm so consumed about this stupid little earthly stuff called money and worried about all the little things that it brings into my life and I live in a nice house and I have plenty of food and The Bible tells me having food and clothes, be quiet and content. And I'm not. I'm not. When my brothers and sisters are dying and giving their lives for Jesus, that's all. Just because they confess his name as king of their life. I want to come back to true worship and purify my heart and my life from idols, high places, every distraction of my heart. And I hear the voice of my God saying, I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. Come out from among the craziness and the busyness of this world and all those affections and worship me. I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you. Will you come?